Hello, we're Gail and Claire, co-founders of Peopletopia. Welcome to our podcast, Brilliant Bosses. Peopletopia was set up with a very simple principle. No one deserves a rubbish boss. Having experienced this ourselves, we know what a difference it makes to employ productivity, well-being, and ultimately, company profitability. We'll talk about our experiences of brilliant bosses and the things that they do well, with loads of takeaways to help you to get the best from the people that you work with. We will tell you some theory about the topics that we cover, but mostly we'll be giving you practical hints and tips that you can take away to help you to be brilliant. Welcome to this Brilliant Bosses podcast. This time, our subject is, I'm a people leader, but my meetings suck. We've all sat through those meetings where our minds are allowed to wander, we aren't sure of the real purpose, nothing seems to get done, and we're wondering why we're invited to attend in the first place. But what if you're the one running the meeting, and this is how your attendees feel about it? Yep, I recognise those meetings too, Gail. Uh, so many of us roll our eyes when a meeting request comes in. But the thing is that as we move into a people leadership or management position, we need to make sure that we are running meetings that are a worthwhile well use of people's time. So how about some stats, Claire, to begin with? We do like to start with a stat. Let's start with the number of meetings held every day. Now, studies vary wildly with these figures, but I found um, a study by Dr. Steve Rogelberg, who's an organizational psychologist, and he says that there are 55 million meetings every single day in the USA alone. Now, that's a lot of meetings especially when a further study by the University of North Carolina calculates that 70% of all meetings just keep employees from working and completing their tasks. 71% of senior managers say that meetings are unproductive, which does lead me to question why senior managers require so many meetings. 35% um, of employees feel they waste time in up to four, sorry, five hours per day on meetings and calls, but they achieve nothing to show for it. And sadly, the remote working model, whilst it has many benefits, it's actually increased our weekly meeting time by about 10%. In one particular survey, 39% of people confess to having dozed off in a meeting. That's my favourite stat. Crikey, so something really needs to be done. Yeah, it does. I think that we've all attended some really unproductive meetings. Um, I think we just need to be a bit more considerate with how we're using our colleagues' time and see each meeting as being a cost to the business. One of my delegates, Claire, was telling me the other day about Elon Musk. And whilst we don't kind of, you know, hold him up as the great management guru, one thing he did say that I thought was quite interesting was if people were in a meeting and they weren't finding it useful, they could get up and walk out. And I thought, my God, imagine how much more focused you'd be when you were running a meeting about making sure it's brilliant and adding real value if you thought people were going to start walking out if they didn't see the value of it. Mm, it would really put pressure on us to, to run great, productive, helpful meetings. It would. What's interesting is that if I say to any group of people, talk to me about a rubbish meeting, they can all come up with loads of examples. So, Gail, tell me about a rubbish meeting you've attended, preferably not one that I ran. <laughs> it's not one that you ran. So I, I, I arrived on time, but loads of people were late. So we were hanging around. The start time was delayed. I'd probably say maybe about 10 minutes was wasted waiting for people to trickle through. Um, it lacked real focus. I wasn't really sure about what we were trying to achieve. 
I didn't feel particularly engaged throughout and I hadn't really been told what the meeting was about so I hadn't prepared anything so I felt not very engaged I guess mm, and those kind of meetings sadly they're not an unusual experience but they they lead us to feel like it's been a real waste of our time and there are far too many of those meetings that go into all of our diaries um I think that what a lot of us do which is a mistake is we just passively accept that most meetings are dull that they're an inevitable part of being at work so who's at fault then Claire is it the organizers is it the managers organizing too many meetings or is it the people going to the meetings who don't contribute enough uh, that's a really interesting question and the, the answer is probably all of them to some degree we're all at fault aren't we I'm sure we've all sat passively in a meeting and let it go on around us um, and I'm sure that we've all been ill prepared for a meeting that we've run in the past um, there's a really great TED talk by a chap called David Grady who wrote how to save the world or at least yourself from bad meetings that's the title of his TED talk now, he says that he's identified a new global epidemic called MASS, M-A-S. MASS? Yeah, Mindless Acceptance Syndrome. He says it's a self-inflicted wound where we automatically accept a meeting request just because we've been invited. And he says that effectively what we're allowing our colleagues to do is to just steal time from us every day without really thinking about the value of our time. And I guess if we don't value our own time, why should anybody else? So the responsibility starts with the way we accept meetings then. We need to take a more considered approach. We need to think about what the meeting's asking us, whether or not we need to be there. And then we need to weigh it whether it's a good use of our time or not. Exactly. Um, it, uh, and, you know, potentially go as far as Elon Musk and, and excuse ourselves if it's not doing that. I don't know. Uh, but I think that, you know, we do need to consider that there is an accept button when you're invited to a meeting. There is also a decline button if that meeting is not right for us. And even more exciting, there is a tentative button if we're not sure yet whether we should go or not. Perhaps we need to find out more information to understand whether it's a good use of our time. And meetings can be a good thing, though, can't they? And whilst we've all experienced some really dull or unfocused ones, I've also attended meetings which have really achieved some brilliant results and some great decisions have come out of them. Yeah, they can be a great use of time. The problem comes when we see it as a default. So we fail to make really good choices about either running them or attending them. But a well-planned meeting is a, can be a really important, collaborative, uh, productive opportunity for us. Yeah. I really love what Henrik Ehrenblad says about meetings. He says it's all about energy. Um, he says that we should be focused on whether we or our attendees have more or less energy at the end of our meeting. And the reason that I love that is because just think about how different all of those dull meetings would be if one of our measures of success was energy. And how much more we get done in terms of actions after the meeting if our energy was raised instead of depleted. Now that you mention it, I think that probably is one of the differentiators of those good meetings for me, that at the end of them, I feel like I know what I need to do next. I feel motivated to do it. And I suppose the trick is to work out how we achieve that in our meetings when we're leading them and when we're attending them. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's probably our first tip is to make energy a measure of success. Um, it's a great place to start because it changes the way that you interact with people. It changes how you plan your meeting and how you're going to run it as well. So top tip number one 
focus on energy. What else do we need to do? How can we start to think about planning for better meetings? So Dr. Stephen Roselberg, organisational psychologist, he advocates that anyone organising a meeting should think about their role as being one that's a steward of other people's time. And I think that's a really helpful way of going into planning a meeting more effectively because it encourages me to care for the time that I'm taking from you and treat that time with real consideration. When it comes to planning, he says it's also important not to just recycle. Don't just default to the same agenda question as all questions or sorry, agenda subjects as always. Don't always default to the same meeting format as always. Um, think about what it is that you really want to achieve. And one thing that he suggests using for an agenda, which I really like, is to set out an agenda based on questions. So make your agenda a list of questions that need to be addressed rather than statements or subjects. I think that's a great idea. And one thing it does brilliantly is suggest that the meeting is going to encourage input from everybody who attends and the in input's going to be encouraged from everybody. So if I'm attending that meeting, it means that I'm already starting to think about what I can contribute to those questions and how I might answer them before I go into it. Brilliant. Love that. What else can we do? Mm. Um, I think in terms of planning, make sure that a meeting is actually what you need. So if it's just a status update, which, by the way, I see dozens of meeting requests for a status update, is a meeting really the right place to do that? Or can you just say what you need to say on an email? Or, it's a, you know, is it a discussion that you can have in chat or Teams chat, for example? Um, think about whether a meeting is really effective. Uh, and if you've identified that you really need a meeting, so you've decided a meeting is the only way, the other tip is to invite the smallest number of people possible. That makes sense. And it reduces the risk of people attending, but not really understanding why. It also reduces exposure to the mindless acceptance syndrome. And we see it all the time. People invite numerous people just in case they might want to be there. Really good top tip. Mm. So make your guest list an exclusive one, I guess. Um, I think that people often get invited out of politeness or because they need to be kept up to date with something. But it's often more effective to just communicate with someone after a meeting with some summary points, tell them what decisions have been made, what actions are being taken, if they're unlikely to actually need to contribute to the meeting itself. I also think sometimes people feel offended or left out of a meeting taking place without them, fear of missing out, which, you know, I suffer with, Claire. Um, and I guess that's just a case of maybe some communication might be necessary to tell me why I'm not invited and how I'll be kept informed. Mm, definitely. Yeah, that's so much more efficient to have a quick chat with you beforehand and say, Gail, we're having a meeting about X, Y and Z. I know you're involved in the project, but I don't think that you need to be there. Is that OK with you? Um, you know, I'll, I'll chat to you afterwards about what's discussed. So think about why each person is there. What is it that you want from them? How might they contribute to answering those agenda questions for you? So have an agenda based on questions. You've got your pared down invite list. What's next? Next thing on the list is timings. So when you're planning your meeting, don't default to an hour or a half hour because that's what Google Calendar suggests. That's what most people do. Um, remember Parkinson's law, Gail? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Parkinson's law is that work will expand to fill the time that you allow for it. So if you set an hour, it will take an hour. If you set 30 minutes, you'll do it in 30 minutes. So setting a long meeting means you're just going to draw things out. Think about what is the shortest possible time that we could have this meeting in. 
brilliant. And that also allows for people to take a break between activities, especially if we're working virtually. We've seen lots of people who have meetings booked on the air every hour. Mm. And maybe finishing 20 minutes before will give people the chance to reflect, reset, if they've got another activity starting at the top of the next hour. Mm. And we've seen a lot of research coming out about this in terms of health and well-being, haven't we? That some recent studies have highlighted the positive impact on our well-being of having just 10 or 15 minutes break between each meeting so we're not in that continual meeting cycle just allows us to recharge and reset Mm, it allows us to reflect as well and to you know as you say it's recharge and reset but also reflect so think about what's been discussed what do I need to do next it's exhausting you know kind of endlessly uh, moving from one meeting to the next whether you're doing it in the virtual sense or the actual sense so don't do it to people if it's not absolutely necessary The next important thing to do is to make sure that you communicate an agenda, not just an invitation, but an agenda, an overview of the meeting, and even better, a clear purpose. What are you trying to achieve by the end of the meeting? And we started working with some people, Claire, who were really strict about this. So if a meeting request comes in without an overview, a purpose, or an agenda, it's automatically declined. Or at best, set as tentative with the reason being that there was no agenda, and they don't know whether they need to be there and they don't know whether they have room in their schedule for it. And it sounds really harsh, but it's a really helpful discipline. And what we tend to see is meetings in those organisations always pretty much come through with an agenda because mm-hmm. they know it's a waste of time for those agendas not to be attached because meetings will be declined. So the discipline has really driven a positive behaviour within the whole business. Mm, and it's a perfect use of that tentative button rather than mindless accept accept button you know you can get back to someone and go I've put tentative can you give me a bit more information on what what why you want me there or what you want me to contribute and I think that that's that's helpful in many ways because it helps you to know but it also helps the organizers to think about uh, have I really thought this through so yeah I think it's a good good thing to do brilliant so we've got our agenda we've invited the right people we've thought about the timings now it's time for the actual meeting any tips about hosting and holding the meeting yeah I think it's quite useful to think of yourself as being a facilitator here so firstly if you're the host act like a host you know what does a host do well the host is there first the host is prepared the host will greet people so whether that means actually physically being present in a room before anyone else to welcome people or whether that means being logged on first to welcome people you should be there first you introduce the meeting you set up the goals and you get things started it's quite helpful to have a copy of your agenda to help you keep on track and it can be useful to have a copy for everyone else to see as well it's it kind of feels like progress because you're ticking along Um, it's now time to think about how you're going to get the best input from people um, and how you're going to achieve your meeting goals. So those activities will depend on the group, the group dynamic and the goals themselves. We've learned in a facilitation role and anyone who facilitates regularly will know that sometimes you have to be a bit brave with things like silence ask a question and leave it hanging, you know, allow people time to reflect and respond. Don't feel like because you've organized the meeting, you have to have all the answers. Don't be too keen to jump in and fill up all the gaps. Give people a bit of time to process and consider. And we've seen some really interesting ways of holding meetings recently. So standing up versus sitting down, walking meetings, etc. What's the best? Mm, there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of talk about different ways of holding meetings going on at the moment there's some interesting evidence for stand up versus sit down first of all um 
the evidence shows that both types, both stand up and sit down, produce the same decision quality and the same number of decisions, but stand up meetings tend to be shorter, as much as 50%, some of them. So it's a, but it is important to consider the comfort and physical needs of your colleagues too. Walking meetings, it's the same thing. Um, you know, that they produce the same decision quality, just differently. You're not going to be able to do that with a big group, um, but in twos or threes, they can be really helpful. And we've seen some fantastic successes when it comes to coaching during walks or one to ones problem solving during walks. It just changes the energy and the dynamic. I guess it's a case of looking at what you're trying to achieve and with who, but don't be afraid to try something different. Um, one technique for groups which has actually shown some really good results is silent brainstorming. So silent brainstorming is a really interesting subject. Typically, as a facilitator, you might get people into small groups or large groups, shout out, and it's a bit of a free-for-all. But silent brainstorming is exactly what it says. You ask everyone to come up with as many ideas and solutions as they can, but with no discussion. So you ask them to write them down, put it on post-its, and then you review it at the end. And this has been shown to produce twice as many ideas as out loud brainstorming. Mm, which is interesting. It's a really good technique. Out loud brainstorming often favours the extroverts in your group and it can make it really difficult for everyone to contribute. Exactly. And you're not so influenced by those other voices in the room are saying and you're less likely to be intimidated. Mm, you are. I think it's also important to keep a certain discipline about the meeting. You know, keep on topic, be quite disciplined about that. Stick to timings. Be sure not to run over, but do end early if everything is done. We've got a client that we work with that says um, you need to imagine if you're if, if the buzzer has gone, you know, if we've hit the time to close the meeting, imagine I'm on fire. That's how important it is that I need to leave the room on time. And I think that's a, it's made me think really carefully about my meeting timings. The other thing that has been shown to be very useful is to summarise your purpose, action and decisions at the end of the meeting. So it's been shown that you can run the same meeting, but if you just hold that summary at the end, um, it's been shown that people feel the meeting is much more useful and impactful than if that summary is left out. In terms of measures of success, following up on actions is really important. Make sure that you audit and review your meetings regularly. How are they going? Are you doing things in the best possible way? It is worth noting that the person who is likely to rate the meeting highest is the organiser. And the person who is likely to rate it the second highest is the person that does the most talking um, as you go down the scale. So make sure that you get a mix of viewpoints on how your meetings are going. Don't just talk to the loudest person in the room. Get a mix of experiences and understand what you can do to help people feel that they're contributing and feel that it's been a positive meeting. Brilliant. So now I think it's a really good point for our one minute be brilliant review. So number one, think about the energy and use it as a measure of its success. Two, be wary of mindless acceptance syndrome. Three, you try using questions as an agenda. Number four, be clear and communicate your purpose and agenda. Don't just send an invite with no information. Number five, invite the minimum number of people that you need. Top tip six, take the minimum amount of time for that meeting that you can. And number seven, consider approaches like standing, walking, or silent brainstorming. Number eight, imagine you're the host, be a good host, be there first, welcome people, state the purpose. 
and then manage the agenda, timings and finish on time. And lastly, summarise decisions and actions. Brilliant summary, Gail. Brilliant. So if you'd like a reminder of those Be Brilliant tips, you can find a downloadable version on our website. You'll find us on LinkedIn with regular posts about all things leadership and management. And do feel free to follow Peopletopia on LinkedIn. We offer a range of programmes for existing and aspiring leaders and managers. So please do let us know if you'd like to find out more, either on our website or through LinkedIn. And join us next month for another Brilliant Bosses podcast. You should now be able to say with confidence, I'm a leader and I run brilliant meetings.